Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I wonder if you've been around at all, if you were here last week, if, if some of us have got these wristbands, I'm wearing the t-shirt, I don't know if you've given out wristbands as well today, if not, if you've got the information stand, you can get one, but it's, I, I actually had a chance to be able to talk to somebody this week and be able to go through these four points with them, um, just to have a chance to be able to talk about how it means that God loves me, but I've got it wrong, I've done wrong things. On the cross, Jesus has provided a way for me to be able to be forgiven and to get that fresh start and that new life, but that isn't automatic. You have, to, you have a choice to make. Are you going to accept that or are you going to reject that love? It's a simple message. It's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's the way that, that God reaches into anybody's life and turns it around. No, you know, no matter how, how badly we've sinned, how, how, how much we've got it wrong, God's love is big enough, the cross is powerful enough for us to have that fresh start. That's what I'm going to talk about today. And um, so uh, that's why we have these. Why don't you think about, if, if you've got the opportunity if, to tell somebody the gospel, that you'd actually open your mouth and be able to say it. The reason we're doing this isn't so that I can tell you another sermon. It's so that you can be a sermon. It's so that you can be the messenger of God that you need to be in your workplace or with a family friend or with a neighbour or somebody that is wearing that. And they say, hey, what's that band about? What's that, what's that mean? Or even just on a napkin, you'll be able to remember this and go through these four points and invite them to make a decision for, to follow Jesus. In the same way, if you're a Christian, that somebody wants to do for you, I'm sure. Somebody help you to be able to understand that message so now we can pass it on. Um, ben last week got the easy one, he got the first one, God loves you, and uh, now uh, he's gone on a little bit of a holiday uh, before he goes to spring harvest and he's left me with this one, um, we have sinned, bit of a bummer to start a message with, and um, you know, we, we too, it says this, you have sinned, we have sinned, I have sinned. By way of a way in, I'm going to show you a film clip um, just now, and uh, for some of us, this might, I'm going to invite you to take a trip back in time, for some people you have to go further back than others, to school dinner time. I don't mean pink custard, I mean uh, in the school, were there different factions, different groups, and did you belong to a particular particular group? And uh, this is from uh, a film that I'm ashamed to admit I actually really like, called Mean Girls, let's just watch a little bit different groups. When I was at school, I was thinking what were the kind of groups that there were, different kind of uh, groups. You know, it changes through the decades, but there'll be certain people who like particular bands or what kind of music, and they would all sit together and, and be on one kind of area. Or, or uh, there'd be the football lads. I was never one of the football lads. I was always rubbish at football. But the football lads who always got picked for the first team, always, to be honest with you, my school got the prettiest girlfriends at the same time. And um, then there was the chess club. What's the first rule of chess club? Talk about I'll have to check, mate. <laughs> oh, I made that one up myself. That's pretty good. And uh, then over here, you'd have some like nerdy types. I'd kind of go over to them. I'm just saying that, really. I'd you know, spend a bit of time discussing revision. <laughs> and then it was like, I was talking to Joel. I said, who did you have? And he was at college. He said, oh, he said, we had the sit under the stairs emos. 
I don't even know what that means. But uh, he says, and the muscly fake tan guys that they had, and people like this. Most of them from Wilmslow, I think he said. And, uh, and at my school, it was a pretty tough school to be honest. We had some bad kids that it was like still the smoking corner, even though you weren't allowed to smoke inside. Well, anyway, but they would kind of, and you just didn't, if you knew what was good for you, what was healthy, you kind of avoided that particular part of, uh, of the area, if you like. And there was a weird table where somebody was always kind of picking the nose and eating it or cutting their own hair. It was just like a, don't go near that one either. And everybody's trying to be original and look original and seem like a groundbreaker in some way, but each according to their own camp of people who are just like them. And um, that's the way it often works, because actually, who you hang about with most, you end up being most like. And that was really why we gravitate into these little groups. So whether, as I say, it was a long time back for you, or, or this was like a recent memory, um, I wonder if you could admit, how many of us would know, yeah, at some point in your school life, you were, or you, you were, when you were at college, you were part of a, of a group of some kind. Just put your hand up so we can see. One of those kind of groups or another kind of group. Okay, how many people would just like to forget those years completely? Quite a lot of us. Okay. So, it's about tables. I assume when I kind of grew up that the table thing would finish, that there wouldn't be groups the way you were welcome and not welcome. But then I found out I was, it's actually still the case. You, you know, even if you go to, um, to meals sometimes and there'll be people, you kind of go over to them and sort of get frozen out a little bit. Actually, believe it or not, even with Christians, even Christian conferences can be like that. Where you kind of go in and it's like, hey, how are you doing like that? And everybody's just like, because like you're... Uh, not Spring Harvest, where we're going next week, by the way. In fact, one of the main reasons why I love Spring Harvest is because it's not like that. You know, and the, the more I got to know the leaders, the more you just realise they're fantastic, loving, warm, welcoming people. But sometimes you can get in this thing of we're in a group and you're not in the group, because tables, often, they're not, not meant to be like this, but they can end up as being something where you know who's included and you know who's excluded. You know whether you're in or whether you're out. But tables are also meant to be a place where we know that we belong. The Gospels record eight different tables, eight different dinner parties that, that Jesus was invited to. I'm sure he was invited to more than that because the Pharisees, who were his enemies, who hated him, when they were looking for things that were wrong with him, that they could moan about him, they said, he's a glutton and he drinks too much. Now, not, neither of those things were actually true, but that didn't stop them from saying it. And uh, the reason that they were giving him that it was because of the reputation that he was having was that he always seemed to be at parties. He always seemed to be uh, enjoying himself a bit too much. Now, I wonder how many people, maybe you're new to this and you're kind of checking out church, checking out the Christian thing. I wonder if the picture that you've often inherited as a, a, about Jesus would be that, that he's the guy who likes a good time too much. I don't think that's the thing that most people think about when they think about Jesus. They don't think about the guy who turned water into wine. They tend to think he'd probably come and spoil everything by doing it the other way around. Three of the eight dinner parties that Jesus went to, which are described in the Gospels, were with close friends and family. But five, the other five, were with the misfits, the, the social outcasts, the people that really respectable rabbis like Jesus shouldn't be hanging around with. And the way they wrote in those days, 
you, you, you didn't say, I did this or we did that. You basically often would just talk in the third person or write in the third person. So we're going to now look at, a, at something that's an eyewitness account by one of the followers of Jesus by the, the name of Matthew. And he's talking about what was the best day of his life, the day that he decided to follow Jesus. And if you've not done that yet, today can be the best day of your life. Actually, today you can come and you can give your life to Jesus. And you don't have to wait until you clean yourself up and sort yourself out or get any better to do that. And at the end, you have the opportunity and the chance to be able to do that because myself and my wife Zoe are going to go and stand over there and if anybody wants to come before you get communion and, and just say I'd like to pray a simple prayer I want to follow Jesus then we'd love to pray with you about that and then you go and get communion so as I say Matthew's writing in the third person here describing his what happened to him it's like the day in his diary if you like as Jesus went on from there he saw a man named Matthew and that's him Sitting at the tax collector's booth, this is Matthew writing, like I say, I know it's not the way we usually write. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, we just talked about them, they're these super religious people who, like the Bible experts who were there to teach the people what was right and wrong and what pleased God and what didn't. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And Jesus then quotes a Bible verse right at them, one that they would know because they know the Bible. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So as we're reading this story, I picture in my mind a couple of tables. We could describe the first one as the sinner's table. Seated around this table are your tax collectors. Now, whatever relationship you may have with the Inland Revenue, and we just got into a new tax year, we need to understand this isn't just like tax collectors like we have it. These people were the sellouts. These were the, the ones who had uh, colluded with the invading Roman powers that were putting the screws on the poor people, taking money off them, and, uh, you know, like, like loan sharks times a million, who would just um, do anything that they, that they needed to do to get more money for themselves. They didn't care about, about what people thought about them. They didn't really care about people at all. All they cared about was money, money, money. They were the worst kind of traitors in the eyes of the ordinary people because they were, they were taxing the people also. They were, they were regularly connecting with the Gentiles who were viewed by the Jewish people as in some way if you connected with them then it was like the, the outside world was rubbing off on you and spoiling you. They're handling the money and changing the money that, that had Caesar's face on it. And you know, there's all, all this kind of stuff that was going on that would make them hate tax collectors. They were greedy, they were dishonest, they preyed on the poor and the disadvantaged. That's, the, uh, that's what the tax collectors was all about. And remember, Matthew isn't just the storyteller here. He's the tax man. This is him. This is saying, it was me and it was my friends. And then Jesus called me to leave behind my old life and follow him. And so I had a party and I invited all my old mates and we all got together and we're having a great party. So this is autobiographical. This is historical. This is the party that's going on. And as he writes this memory, he knows which table he and his friends belong at. They belong to the sinner's table. And knowing how the sinners were and what they were like and how they were viewed, unsurprisingly, few respectable people would be over by the sinners' table. People wouldn't do that. 
The rest of the community wouldn't want to sit there, especially over this side, at this side of the table, because for want of a better word, I'm going to call this the saints' table. And this is definitely where the Pharisees thought that they should be sitting. While Matthew and his friends seem to know that they're sinners, the Pharisees definitely believed that they were the saints. They were sure of that. The Pharisees were religious experts. Like I say, they, they had whole portions of the Bible committed completely to memory. They could quote it chapter and verse. They didn't break. They were scrupulous to break none of the particular rules that you have. All the stuff around eating around their table was all, you know, very careful food preparation and ritual hand washing and, and all of that intricacies in order to be able to protect the table. So, Because they believe that they serve God best by doing that and also by pointing out the faults in the people who were sinning and to be able to, to say, don't be like those people. God doesn't want you to be like those people. They measured goodness, their goodness, by other people's badness. And they felt justified about themselves. We always feel better about ourselves when we can point to somebody worse than us. Especially, that was easy for them when they looked over at the kind of people who were hanging around at the sinner's table. Because they wanted to appear to hate sin, the Pharisees ended up hating sinners. The best way to deal with people that didn't measure up according to their standards was to keep your distance from them. Keep a good arm's length away from those people. Actually come and sit at another table and don't let them anywhere near your table. If they had to come anywhere near, just push them away. Because they also believed that badness would rub off. That you'd become unclean by that kind of contact with those people because those that you hang around with, you become most like. So keep your distance from sinners. That's why they were so outraged by Jesus' behavior. He's supposed to be a rabbi. He's supposed to know the law. He's supposed to teach the law. So how come he's always hanging around with those kind of people? And in their culture, to go into somebody's house, to share a meal... That was huge. That basically, they had this thing of table fellowship. When you share a table, it really was saying, I'm, I'm happy to share your life. I want you to share life with me. That's why you know, Jewish people wouldn't go into the home of a Gentile. They wouldn't eat with the home of a, in the home of a Gentile because they believed that was saying we're going to share life. And they were, they were meant to be separated from them. The Pharisees called themselves, literally it means the separate ones. They separated themselves from all those kind of contacts that would spoil them and spoil their holiness, if you like. And so, Jesus goes into Matthew's house and they're having a meal. And they didn't actually have a table. They would lie on the left-hand side on a cushion and they would eat with the right hand. And if you come along to the Passover meal, which I encourage you to book into today, then um, you, you'll get a lot more information about what actually happened at these kind of meals. And why the Last Supper was so special and should be so special to us as well. I'll, I'll, I'll explain some of that on Thursday night. Monday, Thursday. Because to say I'll eat with you meant I'll share my life with you. So one of the questions that the Pharisees most often asked time and time again in the Gospels, what they were always asking his disciples was, was why does Jesus hang out with sinners? Because that word sinner actually would become a category for them. The category of people who weren't allowed in the temple. The category of people that you should exclude from worship. Because they would spoil it if they came into the temple. Because of the lifestyles that they led. Because of the choices that they made. Because ultimately of the people that they were. They were not to be allowed in. And why is it then that whenever he's given a choice between sinners 
and saints. Why does Jesus always choose to come to this table? In their self-righteousness, they couldn't understand that, so they judged Jesus for doing that. And before we judge the Pharisees too harshly, let's take a moment and look at our own hearts and think about our own attitudes and how we often are. And is it possible when I look at my own heart and think about that, that I ever, could I ever possibly do that? Because the way in which we often rate this is, is that we have our own, you've got your own, and I've got my own kind of goodness and badness scale. On this scale, we categorise small sins, if you like, like a bit like, you know, that's really good, but like going over the speed limit. Especially when you're going to church because you're a bit late. That's kind of justifiable, isn't it, God? So that's like a small sin. And then we move over here and that's kind of medium to safe sins. And, uh, you know, nobody really got hurt and it was all okay, so we don't kind of take that too seriously. And then we get a bit nervous when we see people coming over this side and doing some stuff that's really dodgy as far as we're concerned. Because if we start seeing somebody struggling with medium to large scale sins, we begin to doubt their character and whether or not they're somebody that we can actually trust. But even the things in this medium to large section don't compare with over there because that's where the bad guys are. That's where the biggies are. Whatever the biggies are as far as we're making them. Stuff that we don't struggle with, but those other people do. And so, you know, and, and so we, most of you know, you'd know not to get involved in that kind of stuff. Looking at the front couple of rows anyway, I think most of you. <laughs> I'm sure about some of you actually know I But, see, this is the danger. We... We, we categorise sin, and we don't just categorise sin, if we're not careful, we end up categorising people. We make them what they do, and, what, and, and we can also, as I say, we end up categorising people as that sin. So we end up with some people that we would think are the really, really good people. And we're, we know we're probably not going to make it over there. They're the really, really good people. That's like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Deborah Green, OBE. It's like over that side. And on this end, we have the really, really bad people. You know? Um, who you can imagine some of the most you know, revolting, terrible people in human history, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, and, but I might also put some other people over there, like the guy who, who without my permission, cut back all of our hedge. Completely. Like the neighbour who just came and did that, didn't even ask. Yeah? How am I supposed to forgive that? Because this is where the rubber hits the road for us, isn't it? Or that friend who betrayed us so badly, or that person who said they were going to do that and they never did that. So we put them in that camp. We, the, the person who said that thing, and so we end up, we keep them in that. They're, in that. they're the really, ba really bad people. We're not going to have anything more to do with them anymore because of what they did and what they said and the way that they were. So put them over there and keep them at a distance. And then now, where do we put ourselves on that scale, I wonder? Where would you put yourself? I'll tell you where most people, I think, end up doing this. See, a few of us might put ourselves actually over at this, the bad people table. Maybe that's because you've still got some guilt and some shame and some stuff that you, you kind of... We can end up sort of camping out around that table and thinking, well, that's me, I'm just stuck and there's no real way I'm going to change it, so I might as well just live with that regret in that, the way in which things have been. And I don't think many of us are going to come and get a seat and pull it up next to Martin Luther King over here. I think most of us kind of, ourselves, kind of put ourselves about here. 
maybe here. Because we're not perfect. I've done some things wrong. But I'm certainly not as bad as the bad, bad people. You keep going over there and you've got like ISIS killers of policemen over there. And, um, you, know, those, you know, God has to judge them. But me, I, I mess up. Sure. I make mistakes. I'm actually, yeah, I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I'm a sinner so much as I'm a mistaker. You know? I don't talk about the sin stuff because that's a bit low self-esteem for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a mis I'm an occasional mistaker, actually. I'm not as bad as lots of other people. Sometimes I get it wrong, sure. But if you ask most people where they would put themselves on that line, guess where they're going to put themselves? Mostly good. Basically good. But look what a Christian called Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote in uh, this amazing book called The Gulag Archipelago. And he, he, he talked about this. He said, if only it was so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it was necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece? of his own heart. See, the problem is this. What if God doesn't have a goodness to badness scale? What if God doesn't view the people that we, the way that we often do? The Apostle Paul, Paul warned that from, from God's perspective, there is no one righteous. Not even one. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the trouble is, when it comes to the truth about what God says, there's no sliding scale, there's just two categories of people. It's not good people and sinners, it's Jesus and everybody else. Jesus knows that there are those who are sinners who know they're sinners. And there are those who are sinners who think they're basically good. And him. That's why, given the choice in any room, Jesus will always go over to this table because these people are ready to receive some grace. These people are ready to receive some love that they can't earn and they don't deserve. But these people, the biggest warning really would be for people like this who think that they're basically good and as a result of that they miss out on, on their real need for the grace of God and for that love in their life that would help them to be able to be more of the person that they were made to be in the first place. An author called Judah Smith warns this, in reality for many people the greatest hindrance to receiving the grace of God is not their scandalous sins it's their empty good deeds. Whenever Jesus picked up his tray and looked around the room as to where he was going to sit in any first century dining room, he would always slide up a seat next to the people at the sinner's table. He chose to be with the liars and the cheats and the thieves and the greedy and the prostitutes and the cheaters and the screw-ups. Jesus would look around the room and then he would always go for the most broken and the most broken-hearted people and he would sit with them. The people who knew that they had sinned and that they were sinners. Why? Because he wanted to be their friend. 
because he wanted to welcome them. Jesus gladly spent time with sinners. He freely forgave sins. He always embraced sinners who would come and follow him like Matthew did. The Pharisees used it as a taunt, but he wore it as a badge of glory. They would point to Jesus and they said, not just that he's a glutton and that he's a drunkard, but they would say, he's a friend of sinners. Come on. I, I'm so glad Jesus is a friend of sinners because I, I, I've got him as my friend. Anybody else? I want to live a more holy life. I want to live in deeper and closer relationship with God. I want to be changed. I want to be more like him. But I'm so glad that my sin doesn't disqualify me from that life. Actually, it's my, ad it's my ticket of admission. When I say I admit I am a sinner, I get admitted into that place of grace where Jesus comes and he starts to change me and make me more like him. Because, guess what? Who you hang around with most... You most become like. So as Jesus hangs around with me and I hang around with him, there's something happens where sinners end up becoming the saints. And I can drop that old label because now I'm loved and I've forgiven and I've got this grace inside of me to change me and to help me to be all the things that I could never be by myself. And one of the ways that happens is through this, the tables that we're going to go to in a moment, which is about communion, which is a sign of the friendship of God and how Jesus has come to help us to be his friends and to come to this table and to be able to receive that. Because his friendship isn't based upon merit, but mercy. That's why he said to those guys, you need to go and learn something from the Bible. You need to learn the truth of what it means that God doesn't desire sacrifice, but he requires mercy. He loves to give mercy to people. Jesus wants to be close to me, not because I'm perfect and good, but because he is. And not because of, of anything good I've done, but because of his love and his kindness and his grace. The fact that I'm a sinner is not, good news, is not, is not news to Jesus. He knows it anyway. But when I look at this t-shirt, when I look at the band on here, when I see this X, it's like the bottom of a test paper that a teacher might write on the bottom of a test paper and say, you have done this wrong. <laughs> But then the teacher doesn't just say, and now you're bad and go and sit in the corner. What they do is, they give you a fresh piece of paper and they say, now you get another start. Go and do it again. Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners, so that we can change. Because who you hang out with, you become most like. Jesus wants people who admit that they're sinners to come close to him and then to be changed, to be more like him. So... That gives two things, an invitation and a challenge today. The first of all is an invitation. Here's the invitation. You belong at Jesus' table. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you've never really heard it like this, or maybe you've never let this truth sink into you. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you, and maybe you thought Christianity was another one of those rule-based, moralistic things whereby you end up having to grade on some religious performance system of some kind, rather than a relationship where you just meet and know Jesus, and he's with you, and he and his love rubs off on you. And he's just there, and you're just there, and you have this relationship, this transforming relationship as you eat at the table, as you share life, and he shares life with you. Who you're with, you become like. And I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've ever actually said, I want to experience that relationship and that friendship with Jesus. But that's what I'm inviting you to do. Before you come to communion, if you've never done that, I'm just going to be standing over there by the kind of fire extinguisher with my wife Zoe. We'd love to pray with anybody who's never done that, but your first step before you come and get communion.
You just come over there. You don't have to tell me all your sins. But just admit, okay, I'm a sinner. And I need God to be my friend. I need that fresh start. And Jesus will be your best friend. He's my best friend. He's my best friend. He knows everything that there is to know about me. And yet he still loves me. My friend John, sitting there, is my best mate. And the way in which I thought about that before was actually that he knows all the stuff about me. From our time in the police and all kinds of badness. But he's sitting there in the front row and when I'm talking about this stuff, he's not standing up and going, yeah, but what about this and what about that? Because he knows me and he loves me. So, you're just going to go over there and be able to just pray with us really quickly and say, yeah, Jesus, I want you to be my friend. That's a personal invitation. And then you can go and get communion. And the challenge would be for those of us who'd say... I've accepted that invitation and I know that that's true and I know that this is the table that I want to be at where, where Jesus is and to be able to, in a couple of weeks time we're going to be coming to Easter Sunday. In a few weeks time, we're probably not, well in a couple of months time, we probably won't be meeting in here. We don't know where we're going to be meeting. I encourage you, please come out if you can this evening to Ivy Central. I'm going to tell you bits about what we do now. We're going to look at some prophecies and some stuff that we've had years back, which I believe tell us exactly that this was going to happen anyway. And not to be worried, but to be expected and excited about it. We're going to be able to pray into the future. I'm going to be talking tonight about the keys of the kingdom. I believe God has given us keys to our future. So I encourage you to come along tonight and to pray with us at 7 o'clock at Ivy Central about that. Because we're not worried about it. God has known that we're going to be moving out of here, and God knows exactly what's next for us. So we don't make up our own guidance, we just trust him and we follow him. The challenge though would be, look, in a few weeks' time we've still got this brilliant place for you to be able to bring people along on Easter. Easter Sunday. People will come to the cinema, probably like they're not going to come to all kinds of other buildings, even buildings we might get in the future. So, you know, imagine six months from now thinking, oh, I wish I'd... We should invite them while we're still in the cinema. Don't have that regret. Invite them. Bring somebody Easter Sunday to a fantastic service. Choose which one you're going to come along to. Who do you need to welcome? Who do you need to come and, and, and welcome at your table? And another thing, to, just as I finish with that, is also to ask God as we worship now, as the band come on. As we come to the communion table and Jesus says, all are welcome, is there anybody that you would kind of have been freezing out? Is there anybody that you would think, actually... I don't want them coming too close. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive because you've received grace and God will enable you to be able to forgive somebody else before you come and get communion. Or maybe it could even be a whole category of people of some kind that you, you kind of boxed off and you put over in the, in the bad camp or whatever. Is there somebody that would be like the last people that you would go and, and speak to or would let close to you? Maybe they're the people that you need to be reaching out with the love that you've received and, and give that away to somebody else. And, and he, maybe you could even invite them when you come along, come to church and uh, do that. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Hands up if you qualify. No, keep them up. Hands up if you qualify. Because this is, this is it. This is a fellowship of, of sinners. No perfect people allowed. No, no, I'm really, really good. I've got it all sorted. I'm all together. Everything's wonderful in my life. No masks. Just broken people. Loved, forgiven, being healed, receiving grace day by day. And then giving it away to other people. This is what it's about. So, some of us have been, been forgiven so, so much that we love much.
Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.